In this episode of Flying Smarter, I'm answering questions about how planes avoid colliding with each other in the air, and why airlines overbook their flights. Then, I'm taking a look at how you can get an upgrade on your next flight. Welcome to episode 12 of Flying Smarter, the podcast that explores the fascinating world of air travel. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you've all had a restful holiday season. 2020 was a rough year for everyone, and especially for the air travel industry, so I think we're all optimistic that 2021 will be better. There were some good things that happened in 2020, though, and I talked about the top non-pandemic air travel news stories of the year in our last episode, so if you haven't got a chance to listen to that yet, go check it out at some point. I have two questions to answer today, and I want to note that one of them is about overbooking. And this question came from a friend of mine when I was first preparing the podcast, and I honestly can't remember who it was, so I do apologize to whichever friend of mine it was. It's a question that's relevant to today's main segment, though, which is about getting upgraded. Now, let's get started. How do planes avoid colliding in the air? This is an excellent question. When I was doing my initial flight training, I had an instructor tell me about what is known as the big sky theory, and that's the idea that the sky is so big and a mid-air collision is highly unlikely. Unfortunately, the reality is that mid-air collisions do happen, particularly around airports where there are more planes within close proximity. So, what measures are in place to prevent these collisions? Firstly, there's different types of airspace. The sky is divided up vertically and horizontally into different areas. Some of these areas, such as those around larger airports, are known as controlled airspace. In controlled airspace, aircraft are required to communicate with and follow the directions of air traffic controllers, which help planes avoid each other. Air traffic controllers generally have access to radar technology, which can show them the location of different aircraft. In uncontrolled airspace, planes are left to avoid collisions themselves. In some cases, there are tools in place to help pilots avoid each other, such as common radio channels for planes within a certain uncontrolled area to speak to each other. Now, if this sounds a bit scary to you, it might help to know that generally, airliners don't fly in uncontrolled airspace. Airliners carrying a bunch of passengers generally fly within airspace that is controlled, whereas uncontrolled airspace is usually used by smaller planes like recreational aircraft. When you do have air traffic controllers, there are a bunch of things that they do to prevent collisions. There are rules in place on how far apart aircraft can be from each other, both vertically and horizontally, and it's up to air traffic controllers to help pilots maintain this distance. At and around airports, air traffic controllers will ensure that there's enough space between planes that are landing and taking off. There are also certain rules in place that help prevent collisions. For example, aircraft flying at high altitudes, like the airliners that we're most likely to fly on, follow standard rules on what altitudes they can fly at. In most parts of the world, eastbound aircraft will fly at odd thousands of feet, like 25,000 feet, or 37,000 feet, while westbound aircraft will fly at even thousands of feet, like 32 or 36,000 feet. This helps prevent head-on collisions between aircraft. If pilots do see that they are approaching a head-on collision with another aircraft, they're supposed to turn their aircraft to the right. When both planes do this, they should avoid each other. 
and this helps prevent a situation where pilots try to avoid a collision and end up turning the same way and end up still in each other's path. Think of the awkward shuffle that can happen when you're crossing paths with someone in a narrow hallway and are trying to decide who will move which way to pass. Another good example of rules in place to prevent collisions can be found over the Northern Atlantic Ocean. There are tons of transatlantic flights that fly between Europe and North America each day, at least during normal times, and that makes this a very busy air corridor. Unfortunately, there's little radar coverage over the ocean, making it difficult for air traffic controllers to help maintain separation. Therefore, there are a bunch of carefully planned routes in place that aircraft have to follow and this helps planes maintain enough separation to avoid each other. Finally, modern airliners are equipped with what is known as a Traffic Collision Avoidance System, or TCAS. The International Civil Aviation Organization requires all aircraft that can carry more than 19 passengers or have a maximum takeoff weight of over 12,600 pounds to be equipped with one of these systems, meaning that pretty much any airliner you'll fly on will have one of these. TCAS warns pilots of other aircraft in the vicinity that could pose a threat. Like the radar systems that air traffic controllers use, they rely on aircraft carrying transponders and they can show a map of the other planes to the pilot. Why do airlines overbook flights? Some airlines engage in a practice that frustrates a lot of passengers, and that's overbooking. What this means is that an airline will sell more seats than they actually have on the plane. If you're thinking, well, why would an airline do that? It makes no sense. You wouldn't be the first. Turns out, though, there are some interesting and fair reasons why airlines will do this. In a nutshell, it all comes down to economics and maximizing profits. The entire practice of overbooking relies on the fact that some people buy a ticket and don't turn out for their flight. If a plane has 200 seats and the airline sells 200 seats but 10 people don't show up, then the plane takes off with 10 empty seats. For airlines, empty seats are not profitable and so this is a lost revenue opportunity because they could have sold 10 more tickets. And it's not necessarily passengers that simply just don't show up. There are also people who book flexible tickets who change their flights at the last minute, which frees up seats on their original flight. But for the purpose of the next few things I'm about to say, we'll just all consider them no-shows. Anyway, airlines will use complicated algorithms based on past data to determine how many passengers are likely to no-show for a given flight, and then they use this information to decide how many tickets to sell. Unfortunately, what this means is that sometimes more passengers show up than there are available seats. Usually, airlines will offer incentives like flight coupons to get some volunteers to switch to a different flight, but in a small number of cases, passengers will get involuntarily bumped. At this point, you might be thinking that all this sounds like an unethical way to make more money, and I think you'd have a fair point. Some airlines don't overbook their flights and are generally pretty proud to broadcast this fact. But profit margins for airlines are extremely thin, so airlines are always looking to maximize revenues. Airlines will also argue that overbooking is good for consumers. If an airline isn't able to overbook a flight, they may need to raise the price of tickets for everyone to make the flight profitable. Overbooking also increases the number of tickets available to passengers. If that 200-seat plane was fully sold but took off with 10 empty seats because of no-shows and you were the 201st person who wanted to book a ticket, you would have been out of luck if the airline didn't overbook. 
Airlines will also point out that the number of passengers that get bumped involuntarily is extremely low in the grand scheme of things, and they'll argue that this makes it an acceptable risk. They might also point out that other low-margin businesses like hotels and restaurants will also overbook. Regardless of how you feel about overbooking, hopefully I've given you a bit of an understanding on why airlines do it, and how it's not just necessarily a complete money-grabbing technique. Most airlines in North America, Europe, and Oceania will overbook their flights, but there are a few notable exceptions. JetBlue in the US, WestJet in Canada, and Ryanair in Europe are some of the bigger airlines that don't engage in overbooking. However, it is still possible to get involuntarily bumped from a flight on airlines that don't overbook. For example, this can happen in cases where the airline needs seats to transport crew members or the airline has to use a smaller plane for your flight than originally planned. For our main segment today, I want to talk about how you can get yourself upgraded to business class or first class on a flight. Now, I want to start by managing expectations a little bit. Simply put, it's not easy to get a free upgrade these days, especially when you compare things to how they were 5, 10, or 20 years ago. Back in the day, you might be able to get an upgrade simply if the check-in agent knew that it was your birthday or if you asked nicely. These types of scenarios are very uncommon today, and there's a few reasons for that. Many airlines now have policies explicitly prohibiting arbitrary upgrades. This basically eliminates a lot of the discretionary upgrades that used to be possible. You have more and more airlines adopting technological solutions to deal with upgrades, where the system decides who gets upgraded rather than the airport agents. Airlines are also bigger fans of fees and putting price tags on everything than they were before. There's fees for checked bags, seat selection, and other things like that that didn't exist in the past. If space is available in a nicer cabin, you can count on the airlines to try to monetize that opportunity and sell upgrades as much as they can. With less discretion on the part of airline staff and more upgrade decision-making controlled by computer formulas and electronics, there's less discretionary room for people to take advantage of these days, meaning that it's harder than ever to get what I'll call an undeserved or a free upgrade. There are still, however, ways that you can get upgraded, increase your chance of getting upgraded, or to get a cheap upgrade. Think of it this way. If an airline has space for an upgrade or needs to upgrade people for whatever reason, they have policies that create a hierarchy or a priority of people to upgrade, and there's things that you can do to get yourself higher on that list. I'll break them down into free, sort of free, and paid options. I'll start with the free options, but remember that the chances of getting an upgrade with these are lower than the paid options. Well, actually, the number one way of increasing your chances of getting an upgrade is also sort of free, but I'll get to that later. The free methods are the ones that are going to be most relevant to most people, so I'll start there. Start by being a member of the airline's frequent flyer program. This is completely free and will put you ahead of everyone who isn't a member when it comes to deciding who to upgrade. The only real reason not to do this is if you're collecting points with a partner airline, but if you're doing that, that in itself might help you too. I was actually traveling with two other people once on an Asian airline and we got upgraded because the economy class cabin was overbooked and the only reason we could think of why we got picked was because we were frequent flyer program members who had flown a few times in the past year with that airline. 
None of us were big spenders or at any status though, and we were just speculating, but we couldn't really think of any other reason why we got selected over anyone else. Another thing that can help is traveling by yourself. Airlines sometimes move passengers around if their flight is overbooked, and in these cases, being a solo traveler could be to your advantage. If they've overbooked the economy class cabin for example, but seats are available in business class, they'll probably upgrade only a few people, and it might help if you're by yourself. If there's only one seat available, being solo is definitely a good thing. When a flight is overbooked and the airline needs to move passengers to a different flight, they'll usually start by asking for volunteers. If you're willing to take the later flight option, you're in a position to negotiate. In addition to negotiating the compensation amount, which is usually in the form of a flight coupon, you can also try asking for other things, like a lounge pass or an upgrade to a nicer cabin or a seat with more legroom. If the airline agent can make it happen, there's a good chance they'll give it to you since you're helping them by moving off their overbooked flight. And the worst thing that can happen is that they say no. The next one is a bit of a remnant of the days where there were upgrades to hand out left, right, and center, and airline staff had a bit more discretion, but it might still be useful if you dress somewhat nicely. I'm not saying you have to wear business attire, but whether you like it or not, or whether you think that it's right or wrong, if a gate agent has to pick someone for an upgrade, they're probably more likely to pick someone that's dressed as smart casual than in sweatpants. I would say that this is a pretty minor factor these days, because if it really worked that often, the airport would be full of well-dressed people. But it might help your chances slightly if you can fit in better with those business travelers and high rollers and business or first class. And finally, the last thing in the category of free ways to get an upgrade is that you could be upgraded due to pure luck. This happened to me in one case where I was sitting in economy class in the aisle, and someone passing by me spilled water on me. There was water everywhere from the tray table to my pants and even seeping into the fabric seat. The crew offered to hang my pants up to dry for a bit and give me a blanket to cover up, but my seat was too wet, so guess who got to sit in business class for the rest of the flight? We're now going to move into the ways of getting an upgrade that are sort of free. What I'm about to talk about is probably the number one way of increasing your chances of getting an upgrade, and what it is is having status with an airline. Having status basically means being part of an airline's frequent flyer program and flying and or spending enough to reach some sort of milestone. Airline frequent flyer programs have tiers depending on how much you fly or spend. For example, on a certain airline you might qualify for the lowest status tier if you fly 25,000 miles a year, and then at the next level at 50,000 miles of the year, etc. Having status with an airline is probably the best way of increasing your chances of getting an upgrade. Traveling with someone with status could also help, but basically, when airlines are deciding who to upgrade based on their policies or their computer algorithms, of course they're going to be rewarding their most loyal customers first. At Delta Airlines, for example, all members of their Delta SkyMiles program that have status can get complimentary upgrades to first class. Even among those members, there's a hierarchy of who gets upgraded first. Now, why do I consider this upgrade type sort of free? Well, the upgrade in and of itself is free, but of course, you would have had to spend money in the past to access it. If you have frequent flyer points, you can also often redeem them for upgrades. Now, you can think of your frequent flyer points as having value, of course, so it's not technically free, but you aren't spending any money to pay for an upgrade in this case. You can also do the same with some types of credit card points. 
The next way concerns what type of ticket you buy. When you're buying a ticket, you've probably noticed a few different fare types for economy class. If you paid more for a ticket, you'll probably be higher on the list for upgrades. Among Delta SkyMiles members with status, for example, they explicitly say that this is the case. Now, I'm obviously not saying that you should buy a more expensive ticket just for the very slim chance of getting an upgrade, but it's worth keeping in mind if you're hoping for one. Finally, there are some ways of getting an upgrade that involve paying for it, but where you might be able to get it at an affordable price. With some airlines, like Air Canada, Cathay Pacific, and Swiss, you can actually bid for an upgrade after you buy your economy class ticket. It pretty much is what it sounds like. You put in how much you're willing to pay, although there's usually minimums, and then the people who are willing to pay the most get the upgrade. If an airline hasn't sold all their business or first class seats yet, they might also send out email or text offers to passengers on that flight, so it's worth keeping an eye out for those. And when you check in, they might also try to sell you an upgrade there. Now, for all of these things, sometimes it's a good deal and sometimes it's not. When I buy an economy class ticket, I'll usually take note of how much it would cost in business class, so when I come across these offers later on, I can compare to see if it's a good price. You might also simply be able to get a good deal on a business class seat. And yes, I realize this isn't technically an upgrade method per se, but sometimes you can just get a cheap fare in a premium cabin. Often, sales for business and first-class seats aren't advertised and they sell out quickly, so if you're trying to find one of these, you'll want to use something like Google Flight's fare alerts. Remember that getting a free upgrade is not an easy thing these days. Many airlines are selling more premium seats than before. Delta, for example, now sells close to 60% of their first-class seats when that figure might have been closer to 15% just 10 years ago. That means there's a lot less space for upgrades in general. Airlines have been getting savvier about how they sell and manage their upgrade space, with discretion being taken away from staff and upgrades being controlled by computers. With technology now, you can also check upgrade space and the number of people in the list through apps or display screens or flight status on an airline website with many airlines. Airlines will have some sort of policy that leads to the creation of a list or hierarchy of some sort when it comes to getting upgraded. There are ways that you can get yourself higher on that list, and I hope that you've learned a few today. And of course, if you're willing to pay a bit of cash, you might be able to score a good deal. That brings us to the end of this episode of Flying Smarter please take a minute to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Flying Smarter and on Twitter at Flying underscore Smarter. You can also visit our website at flyingsmarter.com to join our email list. I'm really looking forward to the next few months of the podcast. There are some really interesting topics and interviews coming up that I'm quite excited about, so stay tuned. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.